have your Bibles with you, we're going to read two passages of Scripture. Uh, and I'm going to, it may be a little different today, I'm going to talk to us. I'm going to talk to our fathers this morning. But if you will, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And you can hold that one and then turn to Joshua chapter 3. And we're going to read two passages of Scripture. I'll give you just a moment to get there. If you don't have your Bible with you, Brother Lauren's already got it on the screen. And if you will, stand with me all over the room for the reading of the Word of the Lord this morning. This is from the Christian Standard Bible Translation. Deuteronomy chapter 6, we're going to read verses 2 through 7. Do this so that you may fear the Lord your God all the days of your life by keeping all His statutes and commands I am giving you, your son, and your grandson, and so that you may have a long life. Listen, Israel, and be careful to follow them so that you may prosper and multiply greatly. Because the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Everybody say one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Joshua chapter 3, three verses, verses 15 through 17. Now the Jordan overflows its banks throughout the harvest season. But as soon as the priests carrying the ark reached the Jordan, their feet touched the water at its edge, and the water flowing downstream stood still, rising up in a mass that extended as far as Adam, a city next to Zarethan. The water flowing downstream into the Sea of Arabah, the Dead Sea, was completely cut off and the people crossed opposite Jericho. The priest carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant stood firmly on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all Israel crossed on dry ground until the entire nation had finished crossing the Jordan. I want to preach to you for a few moments this morning on a message I have simply titled, and you're probably already wondering how did that title come out of those two passages of Scripture, but I'm going to, I'm going to bring that to you in just a moment. But I want to preach to you about the godly Father. If you will, pray with me and for me this morning. Father, we love you once again. We praise you. We thank you for the privilege and opportunity to be in your house today to honor all of the fathers in the house, all of the fathers watching by live stream. We honor them today. God, most of all, we honor you. And we ask right now, Lord, that you would just move me out of the way. Lord, don't let me speak my words today, but let it be your word. And let it be spoken in love and in the demonstration and the power of your spirit. God, I pray that you would speak to hearts and change lives in this place today as only you can. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Defeat. He lay there silently. A tear dropped from his eye. There's no sense running anymore. Three strikes, I'm out. Why try? The will to rise had disappeared. All hope had fled away. So far behind, so error prone. Closer all the way. I've lost, so what's the use, he thought. I'll live with my disgrace. But then he thought about his dad, who soon he'd have to face. Get up. 
an echo sounded low. Get up and take your place. You were not meant for failure here, so get up and win this race. With borrowed will, get up, it said. You haven't lost at all. For winning is not more than this, to rise each time you fall. So up he rose to win once more and with a new commit. He resolved that win or lose, at least he wouldn't quit. So far behind the others now, the most he'd ever been. Still he gave it all he had and he ran as though to win. Three times he'd fallen stumbling. Three times he rose again. Too far behind to hope to win, he still ran to the end. They cheered the winning runner as he crossed first place. Head high and proud and happy. No failing, no disgrace. But when the fallen youngster crossed the line last place, the crowd gave him the greater cheer for finishing the race. And even though he came in last with head bowed low, unproud, you would have thought he'd won the race to listen to the crowd. And to his dad, he sadly said, I didn't do so well. To me, you won, his father said. You rose each time you fell. And now when things seem dark and difficult to face, the memory of that little boy helps me in my race. For all of life is like that race with ups and downs and all. And all you have to do to win is rise each time you fall. Quit. Give up. You're beaten. They still shout in my face. But another voice within me says, get up and win this race. The author of that little story is unknown, but that poem bears out the power of a watching father whose voice sometimes we may not hear, but whose spirit we can sense. When we are putting forth the effort and making a good attempt, many times yet we find ourselves stumbling in this thing called life. And if ever a generation needed fathers who were willing to impart that kind of wisdom to their sons and daughters, it is now. It is today. So I want to talk to us this morning about these two texts. And Pastor, how are you going to bring those together? Well, the opening text instructs us, it instructs all fathers, first of all, to love the Lord with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our strength. And it further instructs us to instill that same love for God into our children. The second text paints a similar picture for us to the picture of that of the race. In Joshua chapter 3 verse 15, we are told that the Jordan was overflowing its banks at the time of harvest. They had faced challenges in the past, and now this was just another challenge in the long list of challenges that they would face. And we find the priests were faced with a great challenge on that day, one that is elaborated on in this chapter, but also in Joshua chapter 4. Jordan at flood stage was a dilemma in itself. It was a crisis in itself. But when they stepped down into that water, and I preached a similar message before, we know that the power of God went into overdrive when they stepped down into that water. The waters that were rushing from up the river were dammed up. And downriver, it was as if someone had turned off the faucet. 
The huge volume of water on the north side formed a large wall and it stood in a heap. And again, we cannot forget that this river was literally flowing in such a forceful frenzy that it was producing a raging flood. I want you to get that image in your mind. The banks of the river were overflowing in a raging flood. And then to consider that these priests stepped down into the edges of this raging water is almost beyond belief. Just to do this was a test of their faith and their obedience. Every father will soon discover that becoming a competent and spiritual father in the day that we live in will be both a test of faith and a test of obedience. We also have to grasp that we will never make it unless we are given to becoming spiritual men. These priests were the spiritual leaders of their day. And it's already been said this morning that the father is supposed to be the spiritual leader of the home. The godly father is a man full of compassion and a man full of faith. So I want us to look at a few things this morning. First of all, the weight of the ark. I want you to think just for a moment about the responsibility of what these priests did on that particular day. They were bearing the ark of the covenant while the other people of Israel passed over to the other side. They could not move or let the ark down even for a period of rest. They had to shoulder their responsibility. Now the Ark of the Covenant being about three and a half feet by two feet, it was covered with gold on the inside and the outside. Now conservative estimates from Bible scholars, think about this, were that the Ark weighed at least, at least 615 pounds. But more likely, it weighed in excess of one ton. 2,000 pounds with everything that was on it and that was inside of it. That means that each priest was responsible for carrying from 155 to as much as 500 pounds on their individual shoulders by those wooden beams that were hooked into the rings of that ark. Listen to me, fathers. The responsibilities that we have as the priest and the spiritual leader of our home is a weighty matter. And we cannot afford to shirk our duties. We have to be spiritual men first and foremost, and then everything else has a tendency to take care of itself. Because the Word tells us, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all of these other things shall be added unto you. In this life, there are always going to be rivers at flood stage that stand between us and the grapes that are over in the promised land. We have to cross them. God has always made everything worth having difficult to get to. Let me say that again. God has always made everything worth having difficult to get to. He puts oil thousands of feet below the floor of the ocean. 
You know how much oil's worth? He puts gold down in places that have to be mined out. He places pearls deep in the sea, and we have to dive down deep and dig them out. He places the potential in the seed that only comes alive through the work of farming. And if this is the case for material, earthly things, we have to understand that the same thing applies to spiritual matters as well. Spiritual character only takes place when men are willing to cross spiritual Jordans. Did you hear me? Spiritual character only takes place when men are willing to cross spiritual Jordans. No man just happens to fall into greatness, much less spiritual greatness. He knows much about scriptures because while others were watching wrestling on TV, he was wrestling with the word. He grasped the powerful principles of scripture because maybe while others, and I'm preaching to myself, were watching football, he was tackling the word. He wrestled with himself. He fought down his carnal appetites. My Lord, if there's ever a time that we need to preach on that, it's today. He fought down his carnal appetites and he replaced them with spiritual feasts. And like Jacob, the godly father knows what it is to toil and to push in prayer until the breaking of the day, until he's been marked and left changed by the Spirit of God. He ran the disciplined Christian life and it turned him into a marathon runner in the spirit. The godly father looks at material possessions as ways to invest in the kingdom of God rather than to flash around and impress his peers and his buddies. What about tears? Tears accompany men who are world changers. I said tears accompany men who are world changers. Tears over sin. When we have corporate prayer next Sunday night, I pray that this altar is full of men who are moved with compassion for the lost in your families. I pray that it's full of men who are moved by the Spirit of God to pray for your children. Instead of just talking about what's going on with your children or what they're faced with, I pray that you're moved enough by the Spirit to get in an altar of prayer and cry out to God to help you be the leader of your home. Tears over our lukewarm friends. Tears over the desolation of the church. Tears over those who resist the Spirit because they have a hardened heart. Tears over backsliders. And tears over missed opportunities. You know, we often wish that we could just pack up people in our spiritual vehicles and take them to a spiritual point so that they could see what we see. But the fact of the matter is this. We all have to make our own journey. Everybody has to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. We're living in a day and a time where people don't want to do anything for themselves. They don't want to read their Bibles. 
They don't want to spend time in their war room in travailing prayer. They don't want to tithe. They don't want to be faithful to the house of God and the things of God. They don't want to discipline their own children at home. And so they do what they want to do and they stay worked up and ticked off most of the time because it's just not working for them. You see, this thing takes some work. If I've ever proclaimed another message to you than that, I repent of it. This thing takes some work. Yes, the way of a transgressor is hard. But the way of a child of God should be a life of obedience and spiritual discipline. This thing takes some work. You've got to work it out for yourself. The worship team cannot work it out for you. The youth pastors cannot work it out for you. At some point, we have to take responsibility for our own selves and our own house. What did God say in Joshua? Choose you this day whom you will serve. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And when we do these things, when we take spiritual responsibility, we are bearing the weight of the ark. It can be wearying. It can be discouraging. And at times, we go through things that we don't understand. But I want to tell you something. There will come a day when we understand the power of what has been done through our commitment and our devotion to God. There will come a day. I did not say your commitment and devotion to me. I did not say your commitment and devotion to this church. There will come a day when your commitment and devotion to God, you'll understand the power that that had or did not have in your life. But that'll be a day of great joy when we realize that. I want to talk about point number two. The first, first point is the weight of the ark. Point number two, I want to talk about the strength of the priest. If there's a heavy weight of bearing the ark, think about that, 500 pounds. When I think about that on resting on my shoulders, how much can you squat, Dwight? <laughs> exactly. He said, not 500 pounds. He didn't want to tell me. He's afraid I might squat more than he does. I doubt it, but anyway. But when I think about that, 500 pounds resting on your shoulders. If there's a heavy weight of bearing the ark, there's also the strength of the priest or the father to match that challenge. Joshua 3 and 17 said this, The priest carrying the ark of the Lord's covenant, watch this, stood firmly on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all Israel crossed on dry ground until the entire nation had finished crossing the Jordan. This verse indicates to us that there was a strength that bore the weight and the responsibility of that burden. There was a solid foundation that they were standing on. Listen to your pastor this morning. They did not rely on a stoic reservation to do the job. 
It was not a confidence in the laws of nature that the waters were going to be held back. They simply had a confidence in God that He was going to help them overcome otherwise impossible, insurmountable circumstances. Their faith came from the fact that there were some victories in their past that they had witnessed the powerful hand of God with their own eyes in operation. I want to encourage you this morning. Sometimes look to your past. There are some times that God delivered you. There were times when you thought you couldn't make it, but God brought you through. There were times when you thought there wasn't going to be enough money to make provision for the family, but Jehovah Jireh came on the scene and God provided. There were times that you thought, I know, I remember when they're speaking things to you about your health and your body and that you do have cancer, we've just got to find it. But I remember standing firmly on the Word of God saying, I do not have cancer. In an MRI machine over and over, I rebuke cancer in the name of Jesus till I spoke in tongues and they could hear me back in the room where they were examining me. But who? guess who didn't care? Because there's times in my past that I've seen the hand of God. Guess what? They didn't find no cancer. That's been over 12 years ago. I can't tell you the number of doctors and residents that walked in my room and said, you've got cancer, we just have to find it. I remember in my past. Sometimes you need to look to your past and realize that the same God that delivered you then will deliver you now. Somebody say amen. Despite the fact that the job that they were attending to, the priest... The job they were attending to was very challenging. God empowered them to accomplish the task. Our task, church, in this life is to fulfill the Great Commission. That's all. I said, that's all. As the pastor of this church, I have one agenda and only one, and that's to fulfill the Great Commission. To preach the unadulterated gospel to every living creature. To baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And to know once you've accepted God, He is with you always, even unto the end of the earth. That's what this is about this morning, is the Great Commission. It's not about anything else. Nothing. Boy, it's quiet this morning. That's all it's about. It's not about me. It's not about you. But can I tell you, fulfilling the Great Commission starts with our families. And dads, we have to start with our wife and our children. That's our job. And we'll do it by standing firmly. Standing firmly. I believe it's time for some men of the house to take a stand. To take a godly stand. The priest stood in the Jordan until all the children of Israel passed through the parted water. The priest talking about the father of the home today, the priest of the home, the father. 
they occupied a place of both honor and danger. Most only want to see and talk about the honor. They don't want to talk about the danger. But see, they had to endure the test of courage and patience. They had to overcome their own weariness and their own discomfort as they held up that ark. See, few people realize the cost that is involved in the anointing that they get to walk by on their way to the promised land. Let me say that again. The priests were holding the ark, and the Bible said that they held it. They stood on dry ground, and they held it in the midst, middle of the Jordan until what? All of Israel, till the entire nation had crossed the Jordan. Do you know few people realize the cost that is involved in the anointing that they get to walk by on their way to the promised land? See, the presence of the priest held back the tide of the Jordan, which was at flood stage. The presence of the priest was a blessing to the others. The questions that I'm forced to ask now are this. Because the priests were holding the presence of God. That's what they were holding when they were bearing the ark. Here's the questions that I'm forced to ask now. What if those priests, dads, had given in to weariness? What if one or two or maybe three of those priests, if there was one on each of the four corners... What if one or two or maybe even three of those priests would have left their responsibility? What if they would have lost their courage when they looked at the walls of water that was standing up beside them? What if they had just simply given in to the laziness of their day? See, I think we ought to thank God from the depths of our soul this morning if you have a father in your life that is unwavering in his commitment to hold on to the anointing of God. You ought to thank God if you had a father that was unwavering in his commitment to hold on to the anointing of God. The duties of the priest held back the water. They kept the ground dry and they provided a safe passage. Now listen. Maybe I'm preaching to myself on this, or maybe I'm preaching to preachers on this, but I think I'm preaching to dads on this as well. I really doubt that anybody came walking by them while they were holding up all that weight and looked at them and said, hey, keep your head up. I'm certain that those that were passing by them were more worried about getting across than they were about the burden that the priest was carrying. I have a feeling that the priest probably felt very unappreciated and ignored throughout the whole process at times. But I'm certain that the children of Israel were probably more intent on looking at the massive wall of water that was standing behind the priest than they were even paying any attention to the priest themselves. But despite all of these things, the priest understood that there was a deeper thing to attending to their duties. They realized that safe passage to the next place depended on them. I want to encourage every father and every grandfather today to never give up, to never compromise, to never give in to weariness and laziness. I'm encouraging you to be courageous, to take a stand, to plant your feet 
and patiently endure until all of your children and your wife make it safely across the treacherous Jordan. There is a responsibility, Dad, upon your shoulder to be the leader of your home. That responsibility does not belong on your wife's shoulders. If it's been on her shoulders, take it off of her shoulders and put it where it belongs. It's our responsibility to be the leader of the home. Number three, don't underestimate your strength and your influence. For those of you that are trying to understand the role of a father in your life, and even more than that, maybe the role of a pastor in your life. Have you ever wondered why? Has anybody ever been here before and you wondered why your daddy spoke so sharply to you about something? Or maybe so firmly to you about your walk with God? Have you ever considered why a father urges and tries to provoke good works in your life I wish to God we would coach our sons in life the way we coach them in sports I'll leave that right there have you ever wondered why a father is so insistent that you press forward and quickly without delay has it ever crossed your mind why he wants you to quickly let go of the world have you ever thought, that, and I know some of you have, have you ever thought that your father was just too overboard about some particular issue? Abby's not here today, so she can't amen that. Ha, ha, ha. But as time passed on, it became real clear to you why dad was taking a stand. Fathers, take your stand on the crucial and important things in life. There must be somebody to stand in our generation. When all sorts of people, all sorts of preachers, and all sorts of churches are compromising the word of God to appease the masses, take a stand. I don't know if anybody else is. Now my dad passed away when I was nine years old, and, and um, God rest his soul, he was not a godly father. I pray that he had an opportunity to pray before he left this earth. But now my mama used to say, um, when I would come back to her and say, well, so-and-so did this, or so-and-so's doing that, you know the famous phrase, I know some of you, your parents looked back at you and said, I'm not so-and-so's mama. So-and-so don't live in this house. How many knows what I'm talking about? How many can relate to that? We're living in a day and time now where... Our children say, well, they do this at so-and-so's church and they still get to do this. Well, they got drunk after prom, but they was up there at that church helping with music on Sunday morning. And so we compromise it and because somebody else let them do it, we say it's okay. No. You need to stand firm on the word of God and say, I'm not their mama. 
I'm not their daddy, and that's not our church. This is what the Word of God says, and as long as you live in this house, this is the book that we'll go by. We need some fathers with a backbone. We need some pastors with a backbone. We need some Sunday school teachers with a backbone. We need some youth leaders with a backbone. We need some choir worship leaders with a backbone. And we need people that are willing to submit to the instruction of God. That's where we live today. Dad, take a stand. Don't get confused about what's taking place. It's the threshing and it's the winnowing of the church at the hand of God. Don't be surprised at who has fallen away or maybe even who chooses to walk away. But just let it take you closer to the Lord. Get a grip on truth I said get a grip on truth your mind and your emotions can play some crazy tricks on you your mind and your emotions can play some crazy tricks on you you better stop believing everything you hear And everything the devil whispers in your ear and tells you. And you need to get a grip on truth. And you need to recognize that he's a liar and a deceiver and the father of all lies. Stop believing everything that he feeds you. Get a grip on truth because John 8 and 32 says, You shall know the truth. And when you know the truth, the truth shall make you free. So what are you saying to stand for, Pastor? I'm saying stand for the power of the Scripture. Stand for the necessity of holiness and stand for truth. And don't be afraid to try the spirits of men and women by the Word of God. Don't be afraid. If it don't line up with the Word, from such, turn away. Somewhere, somebody has to take a stand, and it should be starting with our fathers, the godly father. I'm almost done. I want to backtrack in history to the 1830, 1840-era and tell you about ten men who were selected to do a job. They were given horses, saddles, and a change of clothes, a handgun, and a rifle. And next they were told that they were responsible to cover thousands of miles of territory and to make sure that they protected the settlers against Indian attacks. And as time passed, their scope widened, and in addition to protecting the settlers from Indians, it now included keeping rain on the ruffian outlaws and cattle rustlers that ran rampant throughout the land. They were just ten men who were underpaid, underfed, and basically homeless, rambling around Texas to do their job. But that small group of ten grew, and they became what was known as the Texas Rangers. They did their job, they did their best, and it paid off. Those priests who bear the ark need to find a translation to our time and become men who are willing to bear the load and the presence of God to your home, to your children. 
and to all those you come into contact with. I know that a lot of fathers are doing their best to get out of the riverbed and to the promised land. And we ought to do everything we can to help the father who is also a servant of the Lord. Amen. We ought to do everything we can to help them. We've got to give our obedience to God and let God take care of the outcome. I want to encourage every dad today to keep your feet on a firm foundation. Stand firmly in a firm place. Keep your hand on the handle of the ark and keep your head up. So much depends on you for this generation. I said so much depends on you for this generation. As they come to the music this morning, I want to ask you to stand with me all over the room. I'm going to close and we're going to pray. David Frum was one of President George W. Bush's speechwriters. He wrote in his book that he titled The Right Man. That when he drove home on the evening of September the 11th, 2001, after the tragic attack on our nation by Muslim terrorists, that something grew within him. He wrote that a sudden sense of American ownership gripped him as never before. He said that suddenly the F-16s flying overhead were his jets. The empty streets in Washington were his streets. The burning twin towers in New York City were his towers. The smoldering Pentagon was his Pentagon. And he said that when he got home, his wife and his children ran and embraced him almost in desperation. They were his family. And on that night, they piled up pillows and sleeping bags. And all of them slept in the living room floor just so they could be together. Why did you tell us that, Pastor? Because it's amazing to see what an attack from the outside can do to a nation, a country, a church, a family, and especially to a father. Brothers, on this day, and I'm talking to the men this morning, it's my prayer that we commit ourselves like never before to bearing the ark for our families. Our responsibility starts.